Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Well, good morning, everybody, again. It is such a joy and privilege to be here with you today. My name's Mark, and I'm one of the pastors at Trinity, and it's, uh, it's my chance to be here with you. Did I mess this up somehow? Can you come fix this? <laughs> hey, while he's doing that, two things I was going to let you know at the beginning of this. First of all, isn't Ebony awesome? I, I, I wish she was in here. We could let her know that again, but uh, she is. Oh, she is. She's right in the back. Ebony, you are awesome, man. Thanks for all that you were doing. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, and the, other, the other thing I was going to say, I was actually going to say this earlier during the confession time, uh, but it was kind of a solemn moment, so I thought I'd better not. I think the ultimate sign of that there's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you less is wearing a Packers shirt on Bear Packer Sunday to church. I mean, I think that's the ultimate. We love you anyway, right? Okay. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for fixing this. Hey, uh, would, you, would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? Lord, I pray the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate on your word for us today, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is our rock and our redeemer, who calls us into relationship with you and with one another. Amen. All right, this is going to be a little bit of an interactive message today. There's three different times I'm going to ask for some audience participation, okay? And the first one is right now. Here's a number for you. Actually, it's four numbers, four, one, five, three. Does anybody have any idea what those numbers rep? 4151, sorry, did I say three? That's so weird. I practiced a sermon like eight times. I never said three. I don't know why. 4151, all right? Uh, do, do anybody have any idea what, that, what those numbers represent? I'm not really expecting you to get this one. This one's kind of hard. No, nothing. Actually, somebody, I was on our online service at 830 this morning, and uh, uh, I asked the same question in the chat, and somebody Googled it, and it's some like weird angelic fortune-telling thing or something. That's bizarre. That's not what I meant, okay? <laughs> no, so, so the answer to that is, these are the chapters in the Bible that all have this heading on them, Jesus calls his first disciples. So in Matthew chapter 4, in Mark chapter 1, in Luke chapter 5, in John chapter 1, all four of those chapters, Jesus calls his first disciples. So the point here is, very early in Jesus' ministry, in, in Matthew and Luke, they talk about Jesus when he was a little boy or when he was born and stuff like that, so it's not there. But as soon as Jesus starts his ministry, in the first chapter of Mark, in the first chapter of John, in the fourth chapter of Matthew, and in the fifth chapter of Luke, as soon as Jesus starts his ministry, one of the first thing he does is he calls disciples. And, uh, and why does he do that? Well, in, in Mark 3, actually, there's a little further explanation. It, it, he, he first calls them in Mark 1, but then in Mark 3, there's a little further explanation. It says this. It says, Jesus went up on a mountain and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He chose 12 and called them apostles. He wanted them to be with him, and he wanted to send them out to preach and to have the authority to force demons out of people. So he called them to, to go out and preach the good news. That's amazing. He called them to actually cast demons out of people. People, which was a huge problem among people in Jesus' day. But I don't want you to miss the first thing he called them to do. The very first thing he called them to do, it says, was to be simply be with him. Jesus wanted people with him as he took on his ministry. He knew he needed people with him 
as he began his ministry together. See, this week in this thing that we're calling the Being Challenge is the first of these habits, these keystone habits. We're, we're, the, these, these next weeks together, we're going to be looking at what did Jesus do? What were kind of the, the key things that Jesus did in his life, the habits that Jesus put into place in his life that had a kind of cascading effect into everything else in his life? And if we put those same habits into place in our life, we believe they will also have a cascading effect in our lives to help us be more like Jesus. And the first thing, the first one of these we're looking at together is this idea that Jesus committed to community. That's what I want to talk with you about today. And there are three truths that we hear from God's word about this idea that, that Jesus committed to community, that we were created for community. And that the first truth is you were never meant to be alone. You were never meant to be alone. And the second truth is there is power in community. And finally, Christian community, which is obviously what we want to talk about today, Christian community. Community is hard. It's not easy, but it is worth it, okay? So let's talk about those three things together. Let's start with this idea that you were never meant uh, to be alone. In the very beginning, in the first chapter of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it tells us God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes through this whole thing about what he created on the first day and what he created on the second day, what he created on the third day, and he talks about him creating the stars and the and light and, and the oceans and the and animals and all these things. And finally, near the end of the sixth day, we read this, that, that God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. Now, here's a question. Who's God talking to? Who's the us? Well, we, we believe it's the Trinity, right? That God has existed before time in this thing we call the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're getting a little glimpse into the conversation taking place within the Trinity as this universe is created. And God says, let's make human beings in our image. Let's make them to be like us. Now, what was God talking about? Was he talking about the fact that we physically would look like God? I, I remember uh, one episode of The Simpsons, Homer decides... He's going to invent his own religion. And in his religion, you don't have to go to church on Sunday morning. You get to sit at home in your underwear, eat donuts, and watch football, okay? And God shows up and sits next to him on the sofa one day. Of course, God is just a huge version of Homer in Homer's mind, all right? So is that what it means, that we just look like God? No, of course not, right? That's not what it means. In fact, if we go to the next verse, in the next verse it says this. I can't get this. There we go. In the next verse, it says this. This is verse 27 now. It says, so in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And, and by the way, if you look in your Bible later, I bet you, if you open your Bible uh, to Genesis chapter one and you look, this verse will be typeset differently than all the stuff before and all the stuff after. That's because it's been prose up till now and then prose after, but this verse is a poem. In the original Hebrew, it's a little poem. And in Hebrew, there's this really interesting thing where the ideas correspond and rhyme with each other. So, for example, notice it ends with, he created him, Adam, he created them, Adam and Eve. Okay? And in other words, what this is saying is, yeah, those are really the same thing. That God created Adam, God created Adam and Eve, that's kind of the same thing. Okay? Um, and, but notice what it says at the beginning. It says, so in the image of God and male and female. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In other words, it's saying that there's something about this idea that we are created as male and female, 
that corresponds to this idea that we were created in God's image. And then we get a little bit more about that in the next chapter. Now, God has been looking at everything in all of his creation, and as soon as he makes it, it says, God looks at it and saw that it was, anybody know? Good. God looked at it and saw that it was good. And now, all of a sudden, in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God looked, took the man, and he put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And, and God said, It's not good. It's the first time God has said that about something he created. First time he said, This isn't good. It's not good that the man should be alone. Now, let me ask you a question Was Adam alone? He had God, right? I mean, and in fact, as we read in Genesis 3, we find out that, that God used to come and take a walk in the garden every day with Adam, and eventually Adam and Eve. He said, just come and, how about, what would that afternoon stroll be like every day? God comes, knocks on your door, and says, come on, time for our daily walk, you get, we get to walk and talk together. Man, that'd be awesome, right? So, so was Adam alone? No, he had God, but he didn't have Eve. And so there's a truth here that God created us, yes, to be in a relationship with him, but he also created us to be in a relationship with one another. So, so what does this all mean? Well, again, I said it before, we believe that before time, God has existed in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. It's where our church family gets its name from. And, uh, and, and there's a fancy Greek word that uh, old theologians invented to describe this relationship between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and the, the word is perichoresis. It's a Greek word. And you know what it literally means? It literally means to dance in a circle. And, and in fact, C. Baxter Kruger, the Australian um, uh, philosopher and theologian, uh, said the, the best way to translate perichoresis is the great dance. Isn't that a cool way to think about it? That before God ever created anything else, God existed in this relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, and it was just this beautiful dance among the three. This beautiful dance. And then, what it's saying in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God invited us, our first parents, Adam and Eve, you and me, to be part of that great dance to be part of that beautiful relationship with God. There's a, there's a sculpture on the campus of Brown University. I'm gonna tell you about it before I show it to you. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's inspired, the, the artist that put it together was inspired by a Matisse painting called La Dance, right? And, uh, and, and so it's supposed to be this beautiful representation of, of this human dance. And, and that's what it is. Now, I've been told if you're actually there, it's very inspiring. The picture just looks like somebody took some tinfoil and made some people. <laughs> I was, I gotta be honest, I had read about this, so I'm like, oh, I gotta find a picture, I gotta use that in my sermon. And I found this picture, and I'm like, well, that kinda sucks, that's not, that's not what I expected. But I, again, I've been told that if you're there, it's really very inspiring, okay? So, so think about that for a moment, you were created to be in relationship with God and with one another. We were created to be part of this great dance, this great, wonderful relationship between God and, and human beings and one another. You were not meant to be alone. Did you ever see anybody out on the dance floor dancing alone? It's a little pathetic. <laughs> so if you're going, whoa, wait, that was me. Well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
We were, we were not meant to be alone. And, and, and the second truth that we want to look at together today is this idea that, that there is power in community. In Proverbs 13, 20, it says this. It says, spend time with the wise and you will become wise, but the friends of fools will suffer. There's power in community. And, uh, and the fact is that power in community can be used for good or it can be used for evil, Right? I mean, we hear stories all the time of, of great uh, young men that get sucked into a gang and all of a sudden they're doing stuff and their family's going, I, I, I don't understand this. They're a good kid. There's power in community. And, 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 and the fact is, when you are in a Christian community, when, when you're together with a group of other believers all pulling in the same direction together, all studying God's word together, all encouraging one another to be more like Jesus, amazing things can happen. Betty and I were in a small group, a Christian small group for the first time back in the late 80s. Uh, I was teaching uh, seventh grade at a Lutheran school up on the north side of Chicago. And our church decided we were going to do these small groups where you, you studied the Bible by yourself uh, for, for a week. And then we came together, I think it was Wednesday nights? Or was it Tuesday nights? I don't remember. Anyway, it was, it was one of those nights. Um, and, uh, and then you came together and you spent about an hour in a small group kind of sharing what you had learned that week. And then we went for a half hour lecture from our pastor on the stuff that we had just studied. You know, basically he corrected all the stuff that we got wrong, right? Yeah, right? Um, but then our group wasn't done. We were like, I'm not going home. I want to talk about this more. So we would always go out to this place and we'd get a pizza and get some beer and we'd sit and sometimes we would talk theology till till the place closed. I'll tell you, those years where we were in that group were the greatest time of spiritual growth I ever had in my life. In fact, I'm convinced I never would have headed to, gone to seminary to be a pastor if it wasn't for what God did in my life during that time together in that small group. There's, there's great power in Christian community. And finally... Christian community is hard, but it's worth it. Let's, let's talk about why it's hard a little bit. Let's, let's go back to those lists of disciples, okay? If you, if you look carefully on those disciples, and if, if you've got a little perspective, it, it would be a little shocking to you to learn that two of the people Jesus called were Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Now, now let me give you just a little history in case you don't know there. Tax collectors were fellow Jews that had been hired by the Roman government to collect the taxes. And now here was the setup. The Roman government would tell the tax collector, here's how much you need to collect. And anything extra you collect is for you. That, that was their salary. And so, so the, the, the Jewish tax collector would come and collect taxes and collect more from you than he needed to give to the Roman government to support himself. And guess what? They became rich doing that. So imagine that for a second. You're, you're a Jew in, in first century Palestine, and the Roman army is in control. The Roman government is in control. They're an occupying force, and you have fellow Jews who've sold out to the Romans and are making money off you and your family, and you're living as poor and destitute as can be, and they're living fantastic. You can imagine they were not very well liked. Now, on the other hand, you have the zealots. The zealots were people who decided that they were going to arm themselves and train themselves so that when the right moment came, they were going to physically overthrow the Roman government. And they were basically the, the underground terrorists of the day against the Roman government. Now, let me ask you this. 
Why in the world would Jesus call a tax collector and a zealot to be in his 12 disciples? That makes no sense. I mean, think about it today. That's like, I want the most ardent Trump supporter and the, the biggest liberal Democrat in the world, and I want them on my team. Actually, it's probably even worse than that. You know? Can you imagine some of the campfire conversations? <laughs> but Jesus called them because he knew that while one of them had an allegiance to one thing and one to another, they had a higher allegiance, and that was to their God. And he knew that even though that was going to be difficult, I can only imagine what that was like. Jesus knew it would be worth it, and eventually he'd be able to help those two get past their preconceived notions about each other and their, their prejudices against each other and their even hatred for each other. He knew that God's love was big enough to conquer all that and bring them together, and it did. We have this uh, saying, we've been doing small groups at Trinity uh, since the mid-80s, since about 1984, and we have this, this phrase that we use, we call, you might have somebody in your group who's an EGR. You know what EGR stands for? Extra grace required. It's, it's that person in your group that's just a little difficult or maybe they're always monopolizing the conversation, or when it comes time for the prayer request, they go first and they talk for half an hour, right? They're that person that we just say that there's some extra grace required for that person. And, and by the way, if you're in a small group and you're thinking about your small group right now, you know who that person is, right? And, and by the way, if you don't know who that person is, it's you. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, it's not always easy, right? I mean, uh, sometimes when we get in community together in small groups, we find out we have people in that group with us that aren't necessarily people we would choose to hang around with on a Friday night. And, uh, and they may be people that see the world differently than we do and, and, and think differently than we do. But the whole point is that, that that's the whole point. That, that, that learning to, to understand other people and understand the, the road they've had to walk that has brought them to the place that they are and the struggles that they have in their daily life and, and, and learning how God created them. That's what community is all about. We heard this reading that Rachel read just a little bit ago from 1 Corinthians 12. And, I, and, and Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that, that had a lot of diversity in it. Um, there were people in Corinth that were Jews, and so uh, th they understood the Jewish perspective on things, the, the culture in which Jesus was raised. And there were people there that were Gentiles that, that knew nothing about that culture that Jesus was coming from, and, and in fact were raised in a very pagan culture that was very antithetical in many ways to Judaism of the day. Uh, there were people in, in this church there that were free, and there were people that were slaves. Now, slavery was, was different in that day than, than slavery was in America, it, but it was, it was basically indentured servitude. If you got enough in debt, you had to sell yourself into slavery and work your way back out of that debt. Uh, uh, but, but, but there were people that were slaves and people that were free in that church. There were men and there were women in that church, which, by the way, was unusual in those days. Most of the time, men and women would worship to their pagan gods or even in a Jewish community separately. And, and so all these people are together in the church in Corinth. And as you can imagine, there were some problems. There were some struggles, especially, we read, between the rich and the poor. There were some real problems there in the church. And so when Paul writes them, he's writing them to help them get past these problems. And he uses this kind of amazing analogy. He says, think of yourselves as a body. And he says, a body has many different kinds of parts. And, 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 and some of them are 
very different than others. And, and some of them are parts that we see all the time and some of them are parts that we hide all the time. But, but Paul says this, he, sa- he says, e- even though we're all different, we're all one body. He says some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but all have been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share that spirit. And then he, he says this, he says, look, and, and parts of the body can't say, well, I'm better than another part of the body or I don't need that other part of the body. If, if the foot says, well, I'm, I, I'm, not a, I'm a foot, I'm down here, I'm in the dirt all the time and I'm getting dirt, you know, but I, the hands, man, hands get to do cool stuff. So I, I, I wish I was a hand, but I'm not, so I'm not really part of the body. And Paul said, of course not. Yeah, you may be a foot, you, you have, you're different, but you're still a part of the body. And, uh, or uh, imagine, he says, if an ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? But he says, if the whole body were eyes, how would you hear? Or if the whole body was an ear, how would you see anything or smell anything? He goes on to say this. He says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Think about that. Think if, think if, think if our society today just understood that simple teaching from God's word that not a single person in our country can look at another person in our country and say, I don't need you. We'd be better off if you weren't here. You can't say that, he says. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And then he says this, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. And this is the part, again, I wish our country understood I wish, I wish people in the Chicago area understood. He says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. See, if, if some of us think we can just sit back in our houses and, and as long as it's not my family that this particular tragedy is affecting, then I'm okay. We're wrong. Because whenever there's injustice, when, whenever there's brokenness in the world around us, in the society around us, if one part suffers, we all suffer, Paul says. But if one part is honored, all of us are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Folks, there's this picture in God's word of just this amazing diversity in God's creation, in in God's family. Black, brown, white, rich, poor, go, go Republican, Democrat, just go down the list. There's incredible diversity. And uh, And in Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says, as each part does its own unique work, he makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So think about that for a minute. If our church, if this church, if this community right here, Trinity Galewood, is going to be full of God's love, he says every part has to do its job. Now, I don't know why God did that. See, if I were God, I would say, you guys just sit back. Let me handle this myself. I'll be the reason your church grows in love. But, but he says, no, I, I, I'm going to actually tie the effectiveness, the loving character of your church family to you. And, and he doesn't say some parts get to do their part. He says it's each part. If, if there's anybody that walked into any one of our Trinity Four sites and we made them not feel welcome and, and they left, our church is diminished as a result of it because they had a unique role to play in making that body of believers loving. We, uh, 
we, we had a, a young lady walk into our Trinity Kimberly Way site a number of years ago. And, and Trinity Kimberly Way, of our four sites, is probably what I would call the most um, traditional. That's probably the best way to say it, right? Um, and, uh, and, and so, like, if I was preaching there, I'd be wearing a robe right now, and we use an organ instead of a praise team, and it, it's, it's a little more formal there. And, and we had a young lady walk in there, and it was in the summer, so her arms were bare, and she had tattoos, you know, from here up on both sides and up her neck and up the sides of, sides of her face. And, uh, and I saw her come in, and I was a little worried on how she was going to be treated. Well, she came up to me after the service that day, and she said, now, I, I, I kind of have this hobby. I walk into churches and just see how people react. And she said, I, I haven't been in a church in a long time where I felt as welcomed as I did here. Praise God. Now, I, I tell you that story not to say how great we are, right? But, but to, to say what the power of God's love can do in a family of believers. And then there's this. In Revelation 7, it says this, after this I saw a vast crowd too great to count, and this is his glimpse of heaven, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Um, we have this thing in the, we're part of a larger church body called the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod demographically tends to be old and white, and more women than men. That's, I'm just telling you, across the country, that's demographically what our church tends to be. And we have this organization in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, called the Lutheran Women's Missionary League, the LWML. Um, and, and the average age at an LWL convention is probably 65 years old. Um, and, you know, white women, right? And so uh, I was the national, that was the pastoral counselor uh, for the Lutheran uh, um, the LWML. And uh, so I went to the convention one year, which, by the way, it's the only, uh, it was really great to be at a convention where there were no lines at the men's bathroom and the lines were all at the women's bathroom, right? But, um, uh, and, uh, and so, although I did get tricked a couple of times, a couple of times they, they just turned both of the bathrooms into women's bathrooms on the floor, you know? And I had to like go find another men's bathroom. Anyway, um, that's not why I'm telling you this. Anyway, so, um, so, I'm, so I'm at this convention and the, the keynote speaker uh, that they asked to, to preach for the opening service and then speak um, was an African-American pastor from the Atlanta area um, in, our, in Missouri Synod. And, and he said something that I have never forgotten. He, he got up and during his sermon, he read those words from Revelation. You know, this picture of heaven of people from every tribe and nation and people and language. And then he said, I want you to look around the room right now he said, this is not what heaven is going to look like. Uh, and, and then he said this, and this is the thing that really got me. He said, and, and the reality is, for most of your congregations, you would never call me to be your pastor. That one hurt. Because it was true. Because that's one of our goals as a faith community is to look more like heaven. And, and I love being here this morning because we're getting closer, Right? We've still got a ways to go, but we're getting closer. The, the, the power in community is, is recognizing that God's love can conquer any barrier that we as human beings might put up between us and others. Christian community is hard sometimes, but it is worth it because of what it accomplishes. All right, I got one last thing for you as I end today. Here's another group of numbers. 
572-12-3. Now, how many of you know what that means? So those of you who just raised your hand are actually doing your reading in the Being Challenged book, because this was in yesterday's reading, day six, all right? <laughs> and and here's, here's the challenge. Take a look at it. When, 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 when Jesus... When Jesus, um, when, when Jesus uh, dies on the cross and then rises again from the dead and appears to his disciples, we're told the group of disciples he appeared to was about 500 people, okay? So, so the Christian community in, in those days was about 500, a, a large group of people. But we also know that if we read it at other times, Jesus gathered a subset of those people together, and, and in one occasion he gathered 72 of them, and he sent them out two by two. So even though there were 500, there was a, there was a kind of a medium-sized group of 72 that Jesus invested in, in a little different level uh, than he did. And, and then we know, we talked about it before, that there were these 12 disciples uh, that Jesus spent three years with that we're in kind of the inner circle, the closest group that he spent time with all the time. Um, and by the way, in that group of 12, there was even a smaller group. There was three, uh, James and John and Peter. And like when Jesus goes aside to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's arrested, he takes those three with him. Or when he goes to the, to the uh, Transfiguration Mountain and he's transfigured, he takes those three with him. They were kind of the inner circle. So the challenge for you today is to think about Who's, who's your tribe? Who's your 500? And, and I would hope that that would be uh, the thing that we call Trinity Lutheran Church, Trinity Galewood. Um, who's, your, who's your 72? Who's that, that smaller group, that more medium-sized group that you're a part of? Maybe that's the group that worships here in this location. Um, who's your 12? Who's your small group? Are, are you part of a small group? And who's that core? Maybe from within that small group, or, or maybe not. Th those, those three people, those, that handful of other people that you could tell your deepest, darkest secrets to, and you know they are going to be there for you no matter what. That's God's dream for you. And, uh, and that's God's prayer for you, and that's my prayer for you. And so, so, so as we wrap up the message today, here's, here's, here's the thing to take with you. You are not created to be alone. You were created to be together in relationship with others. And that, those relationships are powerful. They can, they can mold and shape your life. And, uh, and, and, and that's why it's important to be in Christian community. And, and so I, even, even though it's hard, even though there may be people uh, in that small group that you go, oh, geez, I, I don't, that's not, I, I wouldn't choose them to hang around with all the time. That's okay because the power of God's love can break down any barriers. And, uh, and, and so who's, who's your three and who's your 12? Who's that tribe that you're part of? I, I pray that, that, that God would be working through that community in your life and that we would, just as Jesus did, commit to being in Christian community together. Would, would you pray together with me? Lord, again, we're just so thankful that you've given us this gift of each other. That... Uh, that you give us community in which we can bear one another's burdens and, and share one another's joys. Lord, I, I'm so thankful that when Jesus came here, he modeled that for us, and in fact, that Jesus invites us into his family, into his body, the body of Christ. And, and Lord, I, I admit that, that sometimes it's just easier to be alone, or it's easier to be with just a, a, a few people that, that get me and know me and are like me, but you call us beyond that. You call us into a, a diverse community, a community where there are all different kinds of viewpoints and, and all, all different kinds of emotions and all different kinds of perspectives. And it's, and it's in that kind of community centered in your word that I grow. 
Lord, I pray for our small groups that are meeting during uh, this fall campaign. I, I pray uh, for all four of our sites. I pray, Lord, for your continued love and grace powerfully at work in the community in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.